Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. As we go through these first, this first grouping of Proverbs, we're going to continue to see the exhortation to acquire wisdom. And, um, you know, this is not just to uh, get, acquire it f- to hold on to it and to sort of hoard it and just make ourselves uh, puffed up with more and more uh, intellect and understanding, but it's to, get, it's to acquire godly wisdom to be used to glorify God and to live a righteous life. So we start to see through, the, through this proverb, and in the, especially in the first nine proverbs, where wisdom is given so much uh, significance, because really... Apart from God's wisdom, we kind of flounder around this, in this earth. And we, a lot of times, you, you, you can attest to the fact, I know I can, that we just don't know what we're doing. And, and we just need godly wisdom to, to just work through all of the different things that we go through. So Proverbs 4 contains two more aspects of what we call in the Proverbs godly instruction. And um, the first one is to embrace wisdom. To embrace wisdom means not only to seek wisdom, but to desire it, and then to take what we've acquired and to apply it to our lives. So this embracing of wisdom is something that's all-encompassing. It's something that has many different facets to it. So it's not just, again, just, okay, I learned that, and I, I know it, and I'll move on. It's to take it. It's to meditate on it. It's to search what God wants to do in our lives using that wisdom that we acquire from, uh, from Him. And then the other part of the instructions that we're going to be learning in Proverbs 4 is to make wise choices. See, now this is the, this is the, uh, the part where we take the wisdom that we've acquired we take those instructions from God's Word, we apply them to our lives so that when we come up against those choices in our life, which we come up against every single day, that God will guide us through those things by His Word. And then we can make that choice. And hopefully, prayerfully, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are making the choice to follow God's way and not our own way. So that's something that we continue to see that we are always given those options. Proverbs is famous for making those contrasts and comparisons where if you do go in one direction, this will happen. If you go in another direction, this will happen. So we're constantly reminded that we have choices in this life, that we're not robots. God forbid that you know, we should uh, give up our free will 
And yet, sometimes we probably would desire for God to take that from us so that we wouldn't continually make the wrong choices. But he, he doesn't do that. He allows us to do what, um, uh, make those choices. And then many times we'll learn from those, from those choices, even the bad ones. The reason for repetition, we're going to see repetition. Well, you, I've always learned that um, repetition is in the Bible because God wants us to remember something. It's very important. It's significant to Him. But I think another aspect of that is that, first of all, our brains probably cannot receive all the things of God just in the first time that He tells us. And not only that, we are naturally poised in rebellion against God. You know, our natural instincts are, are, you know, we're sinful beings. So we naturally tend toward, uh, toward the things of man and not the things of God. So um, we see here through Solomon's instruction to his children, and again, we're going to see he's going to give, it's going to be in the form of a father instructing his children. He's going to say, my son do this. So we see as Solomon instructs his children, our heavenly Father will give instruction to us for living our life, for walking in this world. So I don't know if, if most of you here are probably parents, how many times you've had to repeat yourself to your, to your children until they got it. As, as a child, you know your parents continually repeat things over and over to you until you get it. God does the same thing for us. And that's really a blessing that he's, that he's willing to do that over and over again for us. Proverbs versus promises. There's a difference. We're going to hear a lot of things as we study through the book of Proverbs. We're going to hear a lot of things that say, well, if you do this, then this is going to happen. Well, not necessarily. And so we need to understand sort of the, um, the difference here between a promise of God and a proverb. What a, what a proverb is, is it's kind of what might happen, what could happen. Proverbs are not to be confused with promises. Promises are statements that God guarantees will happen. There are many promises of God in the Scriptures. You know, the thing about Proverbs is that life and our free will kind of get, uh, get mixed up in, in everything that we do and they come into play in every situation. So life is complex. A proverb takes like a single aspect of truth that may occur. Proverbs are statements of what generally may happen, not necessarily promises. So as we see, we're going to see things that may say, if you do this, then you'll be prosperous. If you do this, then you'll have good health. If you do this, then you'll live a long life. Those are, those are proverbial statements, not promises of God, just so you get the, uh, the difference there. This is where I believe the name it and claim it crowd goes off track because what they do is they take an isolated reference to something in the Scriptures and they create a doctrine around it. Or they make a claim of God's promises around something that's really not a promise, but it's, a, it's more proverbial 
in the scriptures. And all that is is just bad biblical interpretation. That's just not, that's, that's not the way that we study the scriptures. We need to study everything in context and understand what God's trying to tell us in those things. The outline for Proverbs chapter 4 in the first nine verses, we see the exhortation to seek, desire, and embrace wisdom. Then in verses 10 through 13, it's a plea by Solomon to follow the godly path. And in 14 through 19, we see that comparison of the godly path versus the ungodly path. And then in verses 20 through 27, they, these verses speak of seeking wisdom with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and, and our body, with all our being. We're, we're called to seek wisdom. A spirit-filled life tends to help us in a lot of different ways. And, you know, the funny thing is that science always eventually catches up to the Bible. You know, the Bible spoke of, of many things that uh, a spirit-filled life, a godly life, will, will benef- how they will benef- benefit us. You know, science has sort of caught up with that. They say that it prevents depression. So in a study, those that followed the Bible were 56% more likely to view life positively and 27% less likely to have symptoms of depression than those who don't follow the Bible. So they do all these surveys and they, and they find out that, yeah, what the Bible said is true. It was true all along. Now that, that God has, uh, has our entire being that he wants to benefit from his, from his word. Also, we see here that it, it's, called, it's, it's told us that it boosts mental health. In another study, godly living was significantly linked to better mental health. Researchers concluded that a godly lifestyle appears to decrease, listen to this, this uh, I thought was very interesting, decrease people's sense of self in a positive way, leaving them to feel more connected to others and I believe also to God. So, you know, the world tells us self-esteem is the most important thing, that you need to boost your self-esteem, that you need to be, you know, the most important thing in your own eyes, where the Bible always sort of um, uh, diminishes that and tells us, no, we need to see others more important than ourselves, Paul tells us in the New Testament. And also we need to see God in his rightful place as the one who knows all and has the greatest wisdom. It's not, we're not all that, in other words. And, um, and people who, who are um, followers of Christ, who are uh, uh, Bible followers, tend to have a, a reduced or a less um, uh, image of, of self. And so they put, they put more importance on God. Also, we see that a spirit-filled life tends to be a buffer against daily stresses. You know, consistent godly living helps people better cope with everyday stress. Godly living was also shown to protect against the negative impact of daily stressors. You know, when we're having a difficult time and we all go through them, you know, how how awesome it is to just be able to come before an all-knowing, all-loving God you know, who knows our problems, who knows what we're going through, 
and yet we can, you know, it says, it says in, um, in 1 Peter, to cast our cares upon him. That's an image of taking that load off our back and throwing it at God's feet, casting our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. So just take all those things that are weighing you down and cast them at his feet, and you'll see that, you know, as you follow God, that those, uh, those you should be less stressful. Um, some scientific rem- recommendations to improve our spiritual health uh, also have biblical commands or principles that correspond to them, like regularly attending church services. And of course, Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some. So, you know, we're called to gather together, you know, and to, to do it often. And we see, like, as we had our corporate prayer tonight, how lifting each other up just, you know, helps um, in, in all these different ways. Praying. We saw again, we see that tonight, praying for one another. You know, when we have times of prayer after the services or when we just have groups where people get together and pray for one another. And um, Psalm 86 just tells us that we should cry out to him daily. And we can do that for one another. We can do that, you know, uh, for ourselves or for others in, uh, uh, you know, at our quiet times. Medding, meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So, you know, the awesome thing that we have God's word at our disposal, that we can go to it, and then we can take it, we can take those things that we've, that we've read, and then we can meditate on them to see what God wants for us. And then just reading the Bible, you know. Uh, awesome it is to be able to go through the Bible from... Uh, Genesis to Revelation and see if you can do it in a year. It doesn't take that much time, you know, and, you know, and we, we can see that that will, uh, it, it has benefits to us in that, in that in John 6, 63, it says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh, flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus's words to us are life to us and then to engage in ministry is just to take those things that we've been given it says here having gift, gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us let us use them use those gifts and see how pouring into others will just um, will just bless you even more sometimes than than the people that you're pouring into first Thessalonians 5:23 says about just benefiting and just pouring our whole being into gaining godly wisdom and to seeking him. So it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire is to grow spiritually, to grow physically to grow in every way our whole being we want to we want to be moving in the direction of God so that when he returns we're found blameless at the coming of Jesus Christ so that's sort of the intro to to the chapter that we're going to go through today you can
you can flip back to the other screen there. So we'll dig in verse by verse here, and we'll see what God has for us in Proverbs chapter 4. In the first four verses, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. So here we see the first exhortation to take God's word and to apply it to our lives. The word here, here in Hebrew is shama. It means to listen to, to yield to. I love that meaning of it. And to obey that, those words. So it's not just listening. It's not just hearing through your ears. But it's taking those things into your heart and a make a, making application to your lives. Giving attention to is used in the context of learning or instruction. So this is more than just hearing. It's having something become actually part of who you are, part of your character. So as, you, as we go through the Proverbs, as you go through the Scriptures, you should be gaining godly wisdom in every single way so it becomes part of who you are. So you're no longer, you're no longer the old person. We're, we're being sanctified. We, we're being brought closer to Jesus day by day from glory to glory, the Bible says. Solomon is passing on good instruction that he received from his father. Hopefully, as parents, we pass on good, godly instruction to our children. You know, there are, certainly there are times when I know in, the, in, in my raising of the ch- my children, I didn't pass on necessarily godly instruction. It was my own. It was the best I could do. But God's wisdom is always best. And so those are the things that we want to pass on to those next generations. God can always make the claim that I will give good doctrine. So doctrine here defined as guidelines, good guidelines to live live by. So it's not theology, but it's practical stuff, practical application of God's truth. And in verse 4, he says, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. So the exhortation to hear, to pay attention to, to receive, and then to apply. You know, God, God's word. In John 10.10, 10, uh, it says, The thief does not come to s- except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So, Life, keep my commands in there in verse 4 and live. God wants to give us an abundant life. Verses 5 through 7 tell us the importance of holding fast to the word of God. It says, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. So we're told here a few times, we're told to get, and we're told to not to forget. So we're told to get and don't forget. Understanding here 
Solomon's saying is a matter of gathering facts and details, but wisdom is the proper application of that information. Godly wisdom, then, is taking those things that we hear and we see and we read in God's Word and applying them in a way that honors and glorifies God and that, uh, that really that edifies ourselves and that blesses others. So there's, a, there's an outpouring of what we receive. So the wisdom, again, isn't just for us to hoard, but it's to be poured out on others. Solomon tells us to obtain wisdom as a thing to hold on to and not let the things of this world cause you to forget God's law. You know, how many times that just the, the trials or even sometimes the blessings. You know, if you're abundantly blessed and everything's going great, do you tend sometimes to forget God, to forget His law, to forget His commands? I know in Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, listen to, to what it says here. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. That's wise. That's a wise prayer. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Now, because you're so blessed, you may tend to deny God or deny the need for God. I can give you another, another way of looking at it. For those people who you know who are not followers of Jesus, who are not Christians, how many of them have a wonderful life? Everything is going really well. And they think, well, there's no, I don't need God. So if, if, the, if an unbeliever will say that, even us who know God may tend to go there. And then he says, he says in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So he's asking there for neither riches nor poverty. To sort of just give me everything I need, God, so that I don't deny you or that I don't profane your name. Solomon makes wisdom a priority, a foundational thing in our, in our lives. Four different times in this verse, he expresses the command to get or the idea that it's something that's attainable. I love that because it's not something that's un, unattainable. It's not something that's unreachable. He puts though the responsibility onto us to ask God for wisdom and understanding. For ask Him for guidance, for godly instruction, so that we can live in a way that honors Him. In James 1, verse 5, it's very clear. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we see here that as we go through these wisdom, uh, this, this wisdom book, that all of the wisdom that we're, that we're called, that we're exhorted to obtain, God's willing to give it to us in abundance, in abundance. So ask for wisdom. Verses 8 and 9 go on to speak of the benefits of godly wisdom. It says here, exalt her and she will promote you. We're talking here... Uh, wisdom personified. Uh, she will bring you honor. When you embrace her, she will place your head on an ornament, on your head, an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. So 
Here we see the benefits of, God, of giving godly wisdom, its rightful place of esteem in our life. Holding it up as something of importance. You know, how we regard God's wisdom, and if we do, will be lifted up with honor. Here's how it works. First, it's a matter of our, our motive. It's a matter of our attitudes. Are we seeking wisdom for only our own honor? Or are we seeking wisdom in order to glorify God and to bless others? God knows our motives. Second, we should be seeking God's wisdom because we realize our own weaknesses. We realize our own shortcomings. We realize how many times we've messed up using our own wisdom and that we need God's wisdom to navigate this world. And then we see you know, how much, em- how much uh, emphasis and significance God gives to us obtaining wisdom. He says here, and that we'll receive an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, in the Hebrew representing dignity. You know, God will, will exalt us for honoring him. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, listen to, the, listen to what, what God says here. Therefore, the, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. See, God says, I, I, will, I will honor you. You honor me, I'll honor you. You give me my rightful place in your life. You give me that priority position, that number one in your life. I will honor you. And then we just sit and we wait and we see what that looks like. For each of us, it's something different. But God, that is a promise of God that he'll honor us. We're also talking about here a crown of glory for being wise in the things that we do, for being wise in all of our doings, in all of our relationships. It's also used for the honor that we bestow on others as a result of our wise and godly living. In Proverbs 12, 4, listen to what it says about uh, an excellent wife being the crown of her husband. I think I have the beginning of that verse there, right? Yeah. And then you see the opposite of that in the other part. But an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. This is a wife who has godly wisdom and uses it and makes, makes application in her relationship with her husband. We can use that, we can apply that in all of our relationships. Then in Proverbs 16, 31, the silvered-haired is a crown of glory. That's, that's, the silver hair is another word for a wise person. You know, sometimes we say that somebody who's been around for many years has gained a lot of wisdom. So we look, my uh, my old pastor used to say, I want a lot of, I want a few gray hairs as my leaders in my church because they have wisdom that's come with years of experience, that's come with years of maybe making mistakes, of, of doing things the wrong way, and then learning from those mistakes. So when, when uh, Solomon speaks here of the silvered head, silver-haired head, he's speaking of years of wisdom. It's a crown of glory, and it's found in the way of righteousness. So wisdom comes with age. You know, we learn. 
We, can, we continue to learn as we grow, as we, as we get older. We should be continually learning to do things in a way that honors God. So my, my, my uh, suggestion would be if you're not there yet, <laughs> keep going. You'll gain more wisdom as you stay connected to Jesus. Um, moving on in Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 13, tell us, this is the part where we see that we have a choice. We have choices in this world. And you guys all know that. But the, the uh, Solomon tells us here, Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. So he's saying here, listen, I've done my job. I've told you the, uh, the way of God. I've taught you the right thing. And now he's sort of giving his child the option, or he's telling him, now, it, now the ball's in your court. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction, he's saying here. And do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Represented here by, life is represented here by a road with two paths. God's way will always show us the right way. God's way will always show us the righteous path. And it's always our decision which way to go. You know, the Bible gives us many reasons to travel the righteous path. In Deuteronomy 5.33, it says, You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may, may be well with you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. And we see there that walking God's way is, is the best way to go. Romans 8.1 it speaks about those who do not walk according to the flesh. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we view life here as two pathways. God's way, man's way. And we know that if we walk according to the Spirit, that there's no condemnation. No. If we walk with Jesus then we're saved, we're not condemned. Moving on in Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 17, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. They're not happy unless they're causing somebody to stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So here's Solomon's warning to all believers that the wicked person will continually walk in rebellion to God and he will try to trip you up too. So he's not just happy walking in rebellion to God on his own. He wants to bring some other victims along with him. And I think that, sh that tells us that we should be spending a lot of time in fellowship with other believers as much as we can. Now, certainly in our jobs or in our schools or wherever we are in the world, there are many times we're the, we're the minority as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of 
the Bible. We're in the minority. But as much as possible, these gatherings of, of believers, we should try to be a part of because this is where we're going to continue to get uplifted. This is where we're going to continue to learn how to walk in this world. And this is where, in addition to prayer and the study of the Word, this is where our conscience gets informed in a godly way. Because our conscience is something that God has given to us. But we need to feed our consciences with the things of God. You know, what happens to people who don't know God is they kind of, they, they inform or they feed their conscience in the things of the world. And they start to get a worldview that's antagonistic toward the things of God. If we inform our consciences with the things of God, then we will be on, in God's, on God's path. We will do, be doing things God's way. You know, our conscience is a tool that God has given to each of us. And he's actually given us like an early warning system in our conscience. He's put in each of us that, that idea when we're going down the wrong path that we know it. In Romans 2, 14 and 15, see what it says, even when we didn't know God. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. What? What that means is that even for those who don't know the Lord, when they do things that are right, they know it's for a reason. They know it's because Something is telling them that that's the right way to go. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So this is something that God puts in each and every one of us. This is a heart thing that he puts into us. When, certainly when we, before we're saved... Our conscience is twinged when we do something wrong. We can feel it. We get that guilt feeling. The problem is that when we're not following Jesus, the world tells us that guilt is a bad thing, that shame is a bad thing, that you should be able to do whatever you want, and that feeling, you need to get over that feeling. But I believe that God put that into each of us, that when we know his way, that we, when we know his law, that we will have that, it's like an early warning system to us that tells us, no, you're going in the wrong direction. You're going the wrong way. And that's our conscience that tells us that. And so inform your conscience. Continue to feed your conscience with the things of the Lord and don't allow the things of the world to come in because what will happen is it will numb that part of our conscience that will warn us when we're going the wrong way. So daily, inform our conscience with God's word, and it will help you navigate the things in this world for his sake. Verses 18 and 19, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the, unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not even know what makes them stumble. So here again, our choice to walk in the way of uh, the light in Jesus or the way of the wicked, which is in, in darkness. 
And I, I like what, those, what Solomon says here, that, you know, they walk around and they, and they fall and they stumble and they don't even know what made them stumble. They, they just get up and they just keep going. They don't even consider the things that made them fall. They don't even care to understand why they stumbled because they're, they're not even thinking of God. Their mind is, is on the things of the world. It says in 1 John 1, 6, speaking of walking in darkness, <clears throat> if we say we have fellowship with Him, Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So just as Solomon is telling us here that the path of the just is the shining sun, but the path of the wicked is darkness, we know there's those two ways to go. The, the light toward Jesus or the darkness in, in wickedness. And now in the, the last verses, in verses 20 through 27, we talk about here embracing godly wisdom and applying it with our whole being, with our whole heart. So it says in verses 20 through 27, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left, remove your foot from evil. So we see here, we're going to go through these verses quickly and see all the different ways that we can just put our whole being into following God's ways and, and, and seeking after His wisdom. Verse 20, it says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ears to my saying. So we start here on the ears to listen to God's voice to listen to His voice as we seek His guide, guidance. God speaks to us in, through our hearts and our minds, but, but, but the, uh, Solomon is talking about the ears where we hear things audibly. As we read the Word and pray, we should be hearing from God in those things. So that's giving attention to and inclining our ear to His, to his ways. Do not let them depart from your eyes in verse 21. Now, using our eyes to inform our consciences and to embrace godly wisdom, reading God's Word on a daily basis and gaining that understanding that He wants for us, keeping them in the midst of your heart. So it comes in the ears. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God as we read His Word and then it doesn't stop there. It continues down into our heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart, Solomon says, for they are a life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. God will put the wisdom into our heart, and we should allow Him to transform our hearts so that they're focused on Him. Ezekiel 36, 26 speaks of that transformation of our heart that's against God, our hard heart that's against God into a soft 
heart that's in his direction. I will give you a new heart, God says, and a new, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God wants to do for each and every one of us as we focus on him, as we stay on his path in this life. Verse 24, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. So now we see in the ears, we hear God's voice as we pray, as we study his word, as we read his word with our eyes. It comes into our hearts and we become a new person. Now our heart is toward God. And then we see that those things that we speak out of our mouth are godly things. The heart, the heart and the mouth are linked in God's mind. How do I know that? There are, there are verses that say that in the scriptures. We express the nature of our heart through our mouths many times. And we should honor God with our hearts and our mouths. In, in Luke 6.45, Jesus says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we see that path as we hear from God, as we read his word. It goes deep into our heart. And then it changes how we speak. It changes how we relate to others. It has that effect on our lives. And then in Matthew 15, verse 8, Jesus sadly says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So that's not the way it should be. Our heart and our lips should be in sync with God. And that's not something that we want to, uh, to happen in our lives. And then we see as we close up this proverb how we now take everything that we've, we've seen how we take the wisdom that God wants to give us as we desire it, as we hear it and read it in his word and apply it in our hearts and changes our life. It changes the way we speak. It changes the way we relate to others. Now, in verses 26 and 27, we put feet on that and we start to walk in this world. It says, ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left Remove your foot from evil. So we take everything that we've gained, all of the wisdom that we've gained in his word, and we put it into action for God's glory. And Solomon here tells us to give careful consideration to where we walk. He says there, ponder the path of your feet. You know, sometimes we just walk and we don't even consider it. But, you know, in a, in a metaphorical sense, do you think about where you go? Do you consider those things that you do? Do you consider the, the actions that you take? So he's saying here, ponder. Ponder the path of your feet. There are so many traps and there are so many pitfalls in this life that can stumble us. But if we stay on God's path, we'll persevere. You've been listening to To Every Generation. 
from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let the